Well, young people, what did we learn for our little proverb last night? Um, young fellow there in the blue plaid shirt, you look like the guy that would know that. Oh, stand up. There's no honorable way to do a dishonorable thing. Yeah, you deserve a star too. My, that was good. You remember that when you're 18, okay? Your mama will remember you when you got your own car. There's no honorable way to do a dishonorable thing. Okay. Tonight, I want to give you another one. Now, this was very helpful to me as a teenager in my early 20 years to give me direction on the decisions that I needed to make. <clears throat> we are never more spiritual than we are scriptural. It's just that simple. We are never more spiritual than we are scriptural. And there's going to be a lot of choices that you young people need to make. And is it scriptural? Or if it isn't, turn away from it. It will be a guidestone for you, I promise. What I have to share tonight, I've entitled, Am I Reading and Living by the Book? And as you can see, when I go away from meetings, I like to take my truck because I have a lot of stuff to haul around. And sometimes I fly, and it just ain't the same. I can't carry my loot. But I did get those knives to Ontario, and they were impressed that I got those knives across the border. But anyway. Psalm 1, 2. But his delight, or his desire, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 13 years old. That was over 50 years ago. And while there's been times in my Christian life where God didn't seem all that close to me and I failed in my commitment to God, it was never God's problem, it was mine. God had been faithful. The biggest struggle in my Christian life down through the years hasn't been stealing or dishonesty or swearing or, or smoking or chewing. You know, y'all don't know what that is, but my struggle, and more specifically as a young Christian, was the discipline of reading and studying and enjoying the written word of God as I should have, and perhaps you can identify with me. So I want to take some time this evening to look at some causes and effects of an undisciplined approach to Bible reading. And then we want to look at some ways to help us be more diligent in reading and living by the book, God's written word to us. And so I'd like to illustrate my experience of trying to grow citrus north of central Florida. When I was in the second grade, my second grade school teacher uh, told us to bring some seeds to school and we was going to grow something for Mother's Day. So this was probably about March, about now. We was going to grow a plant that we could take home for Mother's Day. When's that, the middle of May, sort of? 
And uh, we must have had grapefruit for breakfast that morning because my mom gave me grapefruit seeds and I took them to school and planted them in the little pot that the teacher gave us. And it grew wonderfully. And I was hooked. I've been growing citrus ever since. And my endeavors are often huge. And my successes sometimes have been small. You see, citrus don't like cold very well. And most of all citruses grown north of central Florida or in the hot, arid southwestern states. Several years ago, I saw an ad in the South Carolina Market Bulletin about a workshop put on by the Southeast Citrus Society that you could go and learn about growing citrus north of the state of Florida. If you're from Florida, you couldn't go there. And so that meant Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and the Carolinas. And there was even people there from Virginia Beach. And I thought to myself, you know, the, a lot of that climate, we kind of have the coastal plains climate just like they do in um, North Florida. And I, I got to think, you know, I'm going to go there and check that out. So I talked to one of my cousins. I, twi I twisted his arm and we went. And I, I wanted to learn. I wanted to know. And months later, I, I read about, in a farm magazine, about some fellows, peanut farmers in uh, close to um, Panhandle, Florida. Where, where do those Mennonites live in Florida there? Uh, Sarasota. Sarah, uh, no. Uh, the Yoders. Bluntstown. Bluntstown. Close to Bluntstown. So I drove down there, I got another one of my cousins, and we drove down there, and I wanted to learn, I wanted to observe, I, I wanted to figure this thing out for myself. And, um, you know, I couldn't go to Clemson University, all they're, they're, all they're interested in is football. And, and I went, I couldn't go to the University of Georgia, they're not into that either, and the University of Florida wasn't going to help me because I was from out of state. And so I was riding along like the Ethiopian eunuch waiting for Philip to come help me, and he never came. I had to make all the mistakes myself. I wanted to learn. I bought the books. I started, you know, I bought this book, and then I bought this book. And this is just part of them. I brought four. And I'd read them things and, you know, lay them by my bedstand at night sometimes and I'd look at them and, and I wanted to learn about growing citrus because nobody else was going to help me. And I made all the mistakes myself. But it was always helpful when I could go to the book and when I could, especially, I met the author of some of those books and we could talk about citrus and how to grow citrus north of its normal range. I had a lot of failures. And it was always back to the books. It took a lot of effort. It took a very understanding wife when everybody else was making fun of me. There was a dogged persistence, a determination to learn and know. And yes, sweet, quality citrus is not just from Florida anymore. Now, I, 
I left the twigs on it so you'd know I didn't get it from the grocery store. <laughs> you know, if you go to Canada to fish, you got to leave the skin on the fillet so they can see what species it is. And so I left the leaves on them. You don't get them kind in the grocery store. And so now, Miss Anna, where are you? She wants one of them grapefruits. And so I'm giving them all to you, and you can share them with whoever else. Those are lemons and grape. The oranges are out of season, but I mostly grow oranges. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. When? Day and night. Why? That thou mayest observe or to be careful to know, to do, to do according that all is written in therein. And then the verse previous, Joshua 1.7, and we're not to turn from it, where neither to the right or to the left, but straight up the middle, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. There's a close association or connection between meditating on God's word and acting on it. And it is so important that in our minds are saturated in biblical truth. When? Day and night. So I ask myself, you know, I've been setting up in um, Brother Nathan, Sister Mildred's room, you know, the last couple of days. I've been having plenty of time to be in the word but I don't always, I have a job. I've got things to do, places to go. Do I make time for that day and night cycle of letting God's word kind of like percolate through your mind and become part of you? And so I ask myself, what part of the scripture does I think about when I got up this morning? And what part do you think about before you go to bed? Do you and I consciously reflect on biblical truth and its principles? And we let it become part of our lifestyle in which God's word just courses through our bodies and minds. Some time ago, I went to a meeting put on and sponsored by a company who manufactures a popular brand of calf milk replacer. And the one who gave the presentation, he had this mantra or theme song, and it went like this. We've been doing it wrong for so long that we thought we were right. You know, that's the way many people, many Christian people go about their attempt for their daily walk with God each day. They're in a rut. And there's no joy in their spiritual journey and it can soon deteriorate to the place where they think that living in some type of spiritual funk is the normal Christian life. There's no one failure after another in our attempts to live a consistent, victorious Christian life. And could it be that we're not reading or living by the book? Now, my wife, Grace, used to raise chickens. You know, she just had yard birds and, and for eggs and <clears throat> something else that she wanted to do, I guess. <clears throat> she had a flock of hens that uh, was ready for retirement and be needed to be used to make noodle soup like Mrs. Fast uh, there was making chicken soup tonight. Anyway, 
But I, I felt sorry for them birds, and I didn't want her to have to butcher all them chickens. That's a lot of work, you know. And so I went to the neighbor's Uncle Woody Kemp to see if he wanted them to add to his collection of yard birds and put off the soup option and give those hens a little more time. And so while I was there, here his nephew, who was a naval officer, a recruiter for the U.S. Navy, was there. And he was a little younger than me. He went to school with some of my sisters. And so we were catching up, and I says, Tyrone, what do you, what do, you do now? He says, oh, he says, I'm um, a security guard at the local college. And I says, well, what in the world does that involve? He says, well, he said, I set in on the classes, and I make sure the students behave, and the teacher is safe, and I walk the halls, and I keep order. And I said, well, boy, that sounds like the book of Judges to me. He says, what's that? I said, do you mean, do you read your Bible? Well, sure, I read the Bible, and I go to church, too. I guess I just haven't gotten that far yet, he said. Sometime later, our DHI milk tester asked me one day, where in the world did you come up with a name like Gideon? And that was the name that we had chosen for our oldest son. And I replied, do you mean that you've never heard of Gideon and you were raised in the church? Well, I guess I must have missed Sunday school that Sunday. She replied, and I venture to say that if you have never heard of Gideon, you have missed lots and lots of Sundays and many Bible stories too. Are we saturated and grounded in God's Word? Or do you find yourself filling your life and mind with so many things that actually seem and feel right and you've been doing it for wrong for so long that it feels right. It feels that's the way the normal Christian life is. Just kind of blah. Let me illustrate with orchids. Do you know that there are 25,000 species of orchids in the world? I saw on the news, my news feed today that they just found a new one in Ecuador this week. A new, new species of orchid that they didn't know about. And so the orchid that I have here this evening, I wouldn't have had to brought because Mrs. Good had a beautiful orchid on your table this, at lunchtime. Did you grow that? You didn't. Well, it was pretty. This is a Phalaenopsis orchid, and it's native to Southeast Asia and the Himalayan mountains. And when I go to Thailand, I see them all over. And it, you can go to Thailand just to look at orchids, and it's worth the trip. It's amazing. And I find them both beautiful and fascinating. And if you go to the flower shops or the big box stores, you know, your Lowe's, Home Depot's, or grocery stores where they sell these orchids, there's always a tag on there that says, easy to grow. Well, I want to destroy that myth right now. <laughs> you see, if you want to be into orchids, you'd better read the orchid book. And if you have a wife, you should buy her flowers. And if you don't, you should. I mean, But I got to thinking one day, you know, why buy cut flowers for Grace 
and they just wilt in a few days when you can buy an orchid and it'll stay nice for a month for the same money or even less. And so I bought her an orchid. And, you know, I was an expert on orchids, I thought. Um, tropical plant, uh, lives in the jungle, and it died. <laughs> I waited a while and, and kind of swallowed my um, embarrassment and tried again. I still relied on all of my preconceived ideas about growing orchids. And it died. I tried multiple times, all destined to failure. I couldn't figure it out. And I've met others who grow them. And they say, Phalaenopsis orchids are easy to grow. And then one day, I found the orchid book. And I started to read this book, and I got up to about judges. And I'd been doing it wrong for so long that I thought I was right. You see, there was a lot of glossy pictures and a lot of instructions and answers to a lot of questions. And I could have just saved myself a lot of trouble if I would have read the book before I got the orchids. But, you know, I, I got saved, you know. I'm doing better now, and my orchids look much better. I've read the book. I, I, I thought I was right, you know. I, I, read, I know Pablo Yoder, and we're friends, and, and he grows orchids, and, you know, I should have talked to him. He knows how to do it, but I... I had all these preconceived ideas. You see, orchids don't grow in the soil. They grow in trees. And it rains every night and drenches their little root system. And, and they get nutrients out of the tree bark. And they like bright light but not hot sunlight. And so they're up in a tree. They don't grow in dirt. See, I, I thought I knew all that. But I hadn't read the book. I hadn't talked to Pablo. In my early Christian life, I believe that I often read the Bible out of a sense of guilt or obligation. I knew that I should read and pray for us and feed my spiritual man. I'm, I'm going to move this so it's not, uh, I don't knock it off. And Mildred, that's yours. I knew that I should read and pray to feed my spiritual man, but guilt is a very poor motivator, and it is often very toxic to the learning process. It can and often does kill the joy that should be ours of being engaged in an active reader of God's Word. You know, the late Howard Hendricks said this, that when he was converted, Someone gave him a Bible with the following quote written in the fly cover, right? You know, in here, these pages that in the front of your Bible, and it said this. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And that was good advice back then, and it's still good advice today. Either you are in the Word... And the word is conforming you into the image of Christ, or you are in the world, and the world is squeezing you into its mold 
Romans 12, 2. You know, sometimes we can drive, I don't know where y'all go to, but you know, our people drive up to Hartwell, Georgia, you know, any number of places for fellowship meetings and Bible conferences. Maybe y'all go to Pennsylvania, SMBI Family Week or the Brea meetings. All good things. You know, we'll, we'll go there and we'll drive, take time to sit under the teaching of the book, but we find it very difficult to get up and walk across the room and pick up a Bible and make time to get in the book ourselves. We find the time and resources to go all over the place, to Indiana, Pennsylvania, for volleyball tournaments, or we may block out our schedules to go to Florida for fundraisers and sales where giving is not done in secret. But then again, find it a chore to make the time to become a student of the book ourselves. I did not know George R. the Brunk the first. My dad did, remembered him, and I knew George R. the second. But it was said, dad, my dad said that George R. Brunk would often be some so engrossed in his Bible study that he was often late doing his chores and getting his farm work done on time. Well, unfortunately, that's not me. When it's time to plant cotton, that is front and center for me. I don't want to get it in late, and I don't want to do my chores late. It's got to be done right, and I like to see the trains run and on time. But here's a man that was so engrossed in the Bible study that his chores became second place. I'm not recommending that you be slack in your work. I am suggesting that you learn the balance of becoming engrossed in the scriptures and doing your work at the same time. I had the privilege of visiting in the home of a man who grew up Old Order Mennonite or in the teen churches. And I asked him, how did you come to know Jesus? And he said that he came to the place when he was about 17 years old where he had a lot of questions. And his parents couldn't answer them. His church leaders couldn't answer them. And so he became a student of the Word and he got saved. And today that man is pastoring a Mennonite church instead of smoking cigars. Well, why should we study the Bible? The Bible is essential for spiritual growth, and we learned that in 1 Peter 2.2. As newborn babes desire or long for the sincere milk of the word that ye may what? Grow thereby. That's right. We should long for it. We should crave for it just like little babies. Let their mothers know every three or four hours that they need milk. You know that new mama look. You got bloodshot eyes and big black rings around their eyes for... Six weeks, you know, that baby lets them know day and night they want milk. And it usually brings results day and night. You never know a mama that could sleep all night the first night the baby was born. I never met her. I don't think there is. So. The baby must have passed. You couldn't sleep either. Psalm 19.10 says that the scripture is sweeter than honey. So what is your and my view of the word? And how does it compare to your appetite for daily food? 
Someone has said that there are three types of Bible students. The first one is the medicine type, where the word of God is very bitter, but they know that it's good for what ails them. The second, the shredded wheat type. Nutritious? Probably. But it is very dry and tastes a lot like hay. And then the third type of Bible student is the peaches and ice cream people. They just can't get enough. They've developed a spiritual appetite by feeding on and living the spiritual truth of the book. And so I ask, which best describes your experience? It takes effort, lots and lots of effort, to be an effective reader of the book. I want to suggest that Bible study is essential for spiritual maturity. We have Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, where Paul wrote, you know, he says there's a lot of writings that's hard for us to understand. But it said, by now you should be studious teachers, and now you're drinking milk when you should be eating meat. And you need milk and not solid food. But then verse 14, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Yes, there's many scriptures that are difficult to understand just by a quick and casual read. You know, it's easy to kind of go through the Bible kind of like Dick, Jane, and Sally books in first grade, you know, a, a quick read and a nap. That's how we approach Scripture reading. But Paul says that we should be eating meat. We should be digesting the meat of the Word by now. In verse 14, it says that when we have trained ourselves through the constant use of Scripture... We should have learned to distinguish between good and evil. That is how we know the difference. The Word, the law of God, tells us what's good and what's evil. Without the law, we don't know. And that's one of the reasons that we need to read the Word. And I want to suggest here that the mark of spiritual maturity is not necessarily how much of the Scripture you understand, but how much of what we've learned and know And how much of it we obey. I told you all that last night. You can know a lot of scripture and be lost in your sins. But if you obey what you know, you will be saved. Knowledge itself is not good enough. But you must obey what you do know and work at more knowledge. Reading the Bible is essential for spiritual effectiveness. You know, all of us have had times in our life when we have wished that we were more effective for Christ in kingdom building. And if so, what have we done to prepare ourselves? You know, too many of us want to grow spiritual orchids without reading the book. We want to grow fruit and flowers without the work. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know this verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Well, does that include Second Chronicles? The prophets? The book of Numbers? How many of y'all enjoy having your personal devotions in Deuteronomy? In Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11, is the account of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And he defeated the devil three times by quoting scripture and saying, It is written, and went on to give all of his answers out of which book? Which book? Deuteronomy. And so don't just strike Deuteronomy off. Jesus quoted it three times to refute the devil. One of the things that Paul mentioned that the scripture is profitable for is for doctrine or teaching. Good doctrine is so important. It determines how we think and view the issues of life. That is so crucial because if you do not think correctly, you will not live correctly. And what we believe will determine our conduct towards God and others. Don't be fooled into thinking that your doctrine is not important. And we're watching a whole generation of young preachers and young Anabaptist fellows drinking the Protestant Kool-Aid and buying into Calvinism and walking out. That's bad doctrine. And then we have rebuke. It's like an umpire telling us when there's a foul ball or a strike or you're out. It tells us what God's standard for sin is. And it's not our opinion or somebody else's, but a holy God and His standard is always so much higher than we challenge ourselves to attain. Well, Bible reading is good for correction. Reading God's Word opens up the doors and closets and cupboards in our lives. It, keeps us, it helps us to see things lurking there that need to be cleaned out or straightened up or gotten rid of. It has a purifying and cleansing effect. For cleaning out the trash that sometimes can accumulate in our spiritual life. It helps us to conform in the image and likeness of Christ. It is profitable for training in righteous living. It gives us guidelines. And how often, you know, we see those who attempt to live a form of the Christian life but have fallen victim to this no guidelines mentality yet in sporting events. They're very adamant about guidelines, foul lines, goal lines, boundary lines, and God forbid rules of the game that are often enforced by cold-hearted, ruthless men in striped shirts waving their arms and blowing shrill whistles. They're all for that, but no, not, not in the church. God wrote his message in a book. 
And he asked us to study it for three very good reasons. The first one, it is essential for growth. Number two, it is essential for spiritual maturity. Number three, it is essential for equipping and training us to be an instrument for his use and his glory. There is nothing that can take the place of a lifetime of personal exposure to the scripture. It is vital just as breathing is essential to life itself. And without personal Bible study, you will never ever directly be involved with what God has to say to you. You will always be dependent on the pastor or the Bible school teacher or the radio preacher. Otherwise, you'll always need an intermediary. You know, imagine those of you who are married or have girlfriends or boyfriends. If you always had to communicate to your spouse or lover through a third person. I mean, the relationship would be doomed before it hardly got started. You know, you can talk to our Mayflower Pilgrim friend, uh, Miles Standish, about that. Y'all know that story? You remember when the Mayflower, y'all don't remember, I don't remember, but you read about it in your school book, when the Mayflower came over from Europe, and most of the women passed on the ship. And I guess they didn't have enough lemons to drink or suck on, but when the pilgrims got there, there was a, more men than women. And Miles Standish was the uh, leader of the group of pilgrims there that landed, Massachusetts. And so he told his subordinate, John Alden, that he wanted him to deliver a letter to Priscilla Mullins. And um, so John Aldrin went and took the letter to Priscilla Mullins, and he kept carrying Miles Standish's letters to Priscilla Aldrin, to Priscilla Mullins, and sure enough, there was a wedding one day, and guess who married Priscilla Mullins? It wasn't the guy that wrote the letters; it was the mailman. <laughs> You cannot depend on somebody else to be your intermediary with God speaking to you. Yeah, it's helpful to come to church and listen to Nathan and all the ministers here, each other. But you need to have a personal in yourself, just like your marriage. You know, if you had to talk to Joanne through Carl back there, it wouldn't be good. I wouldn't trust him either. <laughs> okay. I want to make some practical applications and personal <clears throat> things to make this fit us personally. To be successful at Bible study, you must learn to read. You know, good reading habits take personal discipline. And Howard Hendricks says this. There is a direct correlation between your ability to observe Scripture and your ability to read. So anything that you do to improve your reading skills will be a quantum leap in the direction of improving your observation skills as a student of the Bible. And you know young people and not so young people. We've become a YouTube generation. A few two-minute clip and if it isn't fun to look at, we're done. 
I give out assignments and reading material at Bible school and you hear people moan and groan. Right? Look at me. Uh, if you tell them to look it up on YouTube, sure, yeah, send me a link. No. You don't read the Bible that way. The Bible's not on YouTube. Uh, well, it might be, but don't do that. <laughs> Mr. Hendricks tells of his young son, one of my children was halfway through first grade when I realized that they weren't teaching him how to read. So I went to complain to his teacher. And she says, you don't understand, Mr. Hendricks. The important thing is not that your child knows how to read, but that he is happy. And against better knowledge, I decided to let it go for a while. But at the end of the year, I discovered that my child was disgustingly happy, yet couldn't read. In fact, I went back to the teacher and said, did it ever occur to you that children might be happier if they knew how to read? Well, it cost me a month's salary to put my youngster in remedial reading program, but it was one of the best investments I ever made. And so not all of us have the same reading ability, but today you have all kinds of recorded scripture. You've got all kinds of apps on your phone and you can Bluetooth it to your radio and your vehicle. And as I was coming up the road, I was listening to the book of Judges because it is a little bit difficult to read. Uh, if you're not a good reader, listen to it. You can listen to it. There's no excuse. Maybe reading from a different version. Read out loud to each other in your family devotions. Uh, and I went over this Monday night about personal and family devotions. Remember in John chapter 3 that God is seeking those who will worship Him. He's looking for me and you. Be there. Will you always have a complete and full understanding of what you read? I don't. You know, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Blessed is he who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written, because the time is near. Well, so you're blessed if you read it. It didn't say you would always understand it. But there is a blessing in reading. I don't think anybody on this side of heaven will have a full and complete understanding. Perhaps it would be better if you learned to read the Bible as you would a love letter. You know, have you ever fallen in love? I hope so, and I hope the rest of you get to. I fell in love with a young lady in, I met in northwestern Ontario over 44 years ago, who later became my wife. Her name is Grace. For the better part of a year, we communicated by correspondence in our courtship, and we were separated by many, many miles of Canadian bush and lakes. Letters, wonderful letters. It was our lifeline in that time, and each and every letter 
that came I would get from her was invaluable. And when the pilot landed and handed me her mail, he, and he was on his way again, nothing else mattered to me very much until I had time to give my undivided attention to the first reading of the manuscript. Food, sleep, company from home, nothing was really very important compared to that connection to that letter in hand only because she had written it. And so guess what I did when one of her letters would arrive? Do you think I would mumble, oh no. Another letter from Grace. Oh, I guess I'd better read it. Or did I sit down and read the first paragraph and say, well, that's enough for today. Glad I can check that off my list. No way, man. I used to read those letters four or five times and I'd carry it around in my shirt pocket close to my heart and under my parka for protection. And at night I'd lay it there on my nightstand and I'd read it before I went to bed. And, you know, and if I'd wake up at night I could turn the candle on and read it again. Why? Because I was in love with that young lady who wrote them. And that's the way we need to come to learn to know of God's word. Read it as though it was his love letter to you. Well, it does take time to read the book and get to know the one who wrote it, but only you know your schedule. And you can be sure there will be plenty of things to interrupt it. The telephone, the newspaper, the newspapers are pretty much all extinct, but back in the day. You know, for me, it may have been the feed truck or the fertilizer truck or anything or somebody and I want to say that if your neighbors need help, help them. But there are plenty of people and plenty of things that come into your life that are distraction from your reading the book. And it is often things that we allow to clutter our lives that compete for our time of reading and living by the book. And what about study helps? Mr. Hendricks says that they have their place but you will not seriously be disadvantaged without them. It is important that you yourself know what the Bible or the book says and where it says it for yourself. Don't say, well, I need to go talk to my preacher and I'll come back with an answer. You need to find it and you need to know it for yourself. Make it personal. I don't want to belabor this thing of technology. Um, it has changed so many things. Some of you like to read your scriptures off of tablets or telephones. Um, I still like to flip pages, but that's okay if you like to read it off of a screen. Um, technology, all of it is not bad. But perhaps you're one that has had many years of victorious um, Bible reading with little distraction and have a, a vibrant Bible reading habit. But there are many who struggle. And only you can put your finger on what the problem is, what's competing with your time for God. It may be trade magazines. It may be Amish novels where Jenny Hokey books that tell about when love was soft. 
or they may not be wrong in their self, but please keep them in their place. Recreational reading is fine, but don't let it compete for your heart. And it may be hobbies, it may be recreation, legitimate things, hunting, fishing, volleyball, or the pursuit of business. All of these can compete with your heart for reading the book. Several years ago, there was an article in the Sword and Trumpet that was entitled Almost Amish, written by Regina Hess. And I don't know this lady, but I had meetings in Pennsylvania some time ago, and here this I met her father. He came back and identified himself in, uh, as Regina's father. And she wrote a very thoughtful and, I'm, and I thought very fair assessment of what the influence of the media has done on the Christian, and more specifically, for those who embrace the conservative Anabaptist faith. In First, Second Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says that we demolish arguments and every presentation that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so I ask, are we being transformed or are carnal minds being renewed and filled with the law of God? And are we meditating day and night? Like I read in Psalm 1. But Sister Hess says this, Every article we read, every music video we download, every YouTube video we watch is produced by someone with a specific worldview. How much of the media we consume is created by people with a biblical worldview much less an Anabaptist worldview, and we will be influenced as a result changed by the people and ideas we surround ourselves with. And nothing has brought that out more than the internet and COVID. And you can believe anything you want, and you can find anything on the internet to support it. But that don't make it truth. I went to a... Um, meeting of our milk co-op uh, out of Bellevue, Florida and the CEO was there and he told us don't believe anything you see and only half of what you read on the internet and I think he's right with computer imaging they can make a picture of anything they want a cow with six legs or worse, a lot worse you got to be skeptical about anything and you got these, cons well, anyway, I'll stop. As I mentioned before, we've become a YouTube generation. Many of us are not readers anymore. And our cell phones give us round-the-clock availability. And most of them have internet connections. There's games, there's movies, there's porn. There's superficial friends instead of real-life friends. And... Grace and I had to clean the church one time and not too long ago, instead of going the shortest way through the swamp and the peanut fields, we, we did a, a roundabout way and ended up at Pizza Hut. We had to reward ourselves for cleaning the church, you know. And As we sat in there waiting for our pizza to come, I noticed a couple with two teenage children, and they all came in and sat at their table 
whipped out their smartphones. All four of them were engrossed in their phones, and they said not one word to each other. Don't go there. We've become addicted to social networks, the need to know, the need to be the first to know, the need to be the first to pass it on. You know what they are. They're Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Fantasyland, and many others. Blogs and blogs and more blogs. When do people have time to work and read the book? You know, too many of us have allowed our addiction to computers and tablets and phones to hinder the proper use and development of our minds. And I spend a lot of time in airports. And you see these grown men hunkered down over their phones playing Zappazoids, you know. And the women are all there on social media. I'm telling you, Handel's Mosiah was written in how many days? Forty days. And Frederick Handel didn't do that by playing Zappazoids on his phone. It makes for small minds about as big as a hickory nut. First Timothy four eight says Paul says that godly exercise profiteth little, but computer games profiteth nothing at all. Well, you know what. And again I quote Sister Hess. 1 Timothy 5.13 has a sobering comment about women in the first century. They learn to be idle and go from house to house. Not only are they idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. And in the 21st century, through the wonders of the internet, we have the unique ability to be able to wander from house to house without ever leaving our home. When I was growing up and living at home, if I woke early enough in the morning, I would see my father, the man I met in Pennsylvania, sitting in his recliner reading his Bible and having his quiet time with the Lord. My mother, too, was a very disciplined person like my father, faithful as the sun in meeting the Lord every day. And that's one of the pictures of my home that my mind goes back to when I remember my childhood. What will my children remember about me? Today we have new tools and new opportunities to show a disciplined life or an undisciplined life. My children are watching me. What examples am I living for my children? Do they see an industrious, godly mother? Or do they see their mother known for all the time that she wastes on the internet? May God give us strength we need to be godly women that he has called us to be in this 21st century. My heart has again been stirred and convicted as I share this with you again this evening. Ezra 7.10 For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to the teaching of its laws and decrees in Israel. This is my prayer and goal for today, that I would be counted among the faithful because I have learned to read and live by the book and sharing its healing message with others. So help me, God.
I'm going to ask Carl, would you lead a verse of Just As I Am? I don't know what page number it is. 235. As we sing a verse of this song, if you feel that you want to make a, a commitment to reevaluate your Bible reading uh, life and set new goals or you feel like that you have been a disappointing failure to yourself and to God, this is not about you being a wicked heathen. This is about you wanting to do better and set a new standard, a new challenge for yourself. Shall we sing? attention. Shall we stand for prayer? Father, I thank you that you gave us your word and that we have it in our language, that we can read it and understand your will for us. Help us to be diligent in reading and searching your word, to grow more in the likeness of Jesus, and to be willing to share it with others. Bless this congregation as we part and give us a good night of rest. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.